Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, November 13th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. And after that, in our feature presentation, Ben Pearson is going to talk to director Leslie Iwerks about the Imagineering story. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer, Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Okay, so Disney Plus launched yesterday. We had this whole discussion about The Mandalorian. Uh, Chris, you were not on that discussion, but you have seen The Mandalorian. So I'm just wondering your quick uh, spoiler-free reaction. Uh, I think it's fine. It didn't, like, blow me away. It it felt very much like part one of a bigger thing. So I'm going to wait until I, like, see them all before I give, like, a... That was great. I mean, um, I liked Werner Herzog. He was like the best part. And I liked when he was saying things like, we can only give you a fob. Just like hearing him say (laughs) stuff like that. I was like, oh, that's cool. But other than that, the show wasn't like, didn't like blow me away. And you have not gotten the service yet. No, I have yet to sign up for it, even though I I can get it for free because I have Verizon. I just have yet to get around to doing it. 
Yeah, I stupidly bought the service and didn't realize that I have Verizon Wireless and could have got it for a year free. So that's my mistake. I'm gonna have to look and see see if I can get that refunded and and done. Uh, Brad, you you did buy the service though. Yes, uh, I signed up for the Founders deal uh, because they made it available for anyone who signed up for D23 in the free membership area. Uh, so I just did the one uh, the three year uh, early sign up thing since it ended up like saving you an entire year's cost of membership. Yeah, totally. Um, did uh, What is your experience uh, yesterday using the service? Um, I didn't really have a lot of the problems that other people seem to be having. Every now and then it would say, can't connect Disney Plus, but then I would just hit retry and it would immediately work. So I, I never had like any extensive uh, outage issues. I watched The Mandalorian uh, around um, in the morning and like it was, there was no you know, problem getting to it. I saw some people having issues even just getting to the content and getting it to play. Uh, but I haven't had any, any issues. Um, I, I've thrown on some things in the background while working, like remember the Titans uh, and things like that and explored around and added things to my watch list. And yeah, what, what do you think of the UI? I think it's great. I think it's really fluid and, and smooth. I think all of the, the art they're using for the movies, uh, you know, makes everything look very vibrant and uh, slick. I, I'm I'm pretty pleased with with everything so far. The only thing that I've noticed uh, is that's a bit clunky is that sometimes it takes a while for titles uh, to load. If you go searching in some of the larger collections, like if you go to the the movies or TV series section and you just go to the the general A to Z section, uh, it takes a little while for the entire library to populate. But uh, you know, that could easily be just an issue with my internet connection, um, as well as it could, you know, it getting accessed by a bunch of people. But otherwise, I haven't had any major problems. Yeah, there's so much content on the service that, like, I feel like even the subcategories that they have on that main menu is not enough to find, you know, some of the older and more interesting titles. Uh, and I, we, we actually, did you set up your like avatar? Who did you pick as your avatar? I actually haven't done that portion yet. I was too uh, busy just getting into the content that I haven't set that up yet. And for those who don't know what I'm talking about, for your user account, for each user, you can set up a avatar. It can be a Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Disney Channel character. Um, it's very weird what characters they have on there and what characters they don't. Like, they have a whole Star Wars section, but uh, Kitra wanted to be Ray, and they don't have Ray. But you can be a stormtrooper. So, what about characters from the motion picture Avatar? Can you be one of them for the Avatar? I don't think that they have Navi there. No, <sighs> wasted, well, wasted opportunity. Yes. Okay. Let, let, let's talk about the news. Uh, today's episode is going to be purely Disney Plus stuff because so much stuff broke in the last couple of days. Uh, as Brad mentioned, when the service went live yesterday, or actually the night before that. Uh, People were having a lot of technical issues, and you wrote about this for the site, Chris. What do we know? Uh, yeah, so uh, as probably should have been expected at this point, just because it seems like anytime anything like this launches, uh, there's a problem. Uh, Disney Plus had a lot of technical issues for some people. Some people seem to be okay, but others weren't even able to connect to Disney Plus. And of course, Disney Plus was obviously prepared for this because they have cute little screens where it says something is wrong. Like one of them has like, you know, Wreck-It Ralph from Ralph Breaks the Internet, you know, and he's holding a Wi-Fi symbol. And so obviously they knew this was going to happen. They are prepared for it. And some people were not happy. When I was running the story, I was, I was scrolling through Twitter 
And man, some people were very upset to the point where it made me feel very bad for Disney, even though they're a giant evil <laughs> corporation. But <laughs> some people were like, what the hell, Disney? Where are like, are? And it's like, you know what? Calm down. It'll, it'll, <laughs> you'll get your, your Disney Plus. Just give them, give them some time to work out the bugs. I'm assuming by today those problems are, are resolved. It was funny in my feed. Someone tweeted about uh, this one guy that had two tweets. One was showing his Disney uh, Blu-ray collection on on his shelf, and he he tweeted out a comment being like, "This is all now obsolete." And then, like a few hours later, uh, you know, take, taking a picture of his TV, not able to connect, and complaining about how he can't get access to any of the movies. <laughs> it was like a tale in two tweets. Um, I, I'm, I mean, yeah, we expected this. This is also why Disney probably didn't announce an actual time that the service was going to launch because they didn't want everybody on the service at one actual time, uh, you know, one actual exact minute. Um, this is probably very popular. I mean, we have some information on how many people went on day one, right? Uh, we do. Um, as always, uh, you know, same thing with Netflix. Whenever these metrics come out, we have to sort of take them at their word because it's you know disney giving us the these numbers um but according to disney they say uh the the app downloads on the first day were 3.2 million uh, and then they signed up 10 million new subscribers so that's a you know that's a big number um at the same time disney is also said that they will not be releasing ratings for their their original shows so why would they netflix doesn't you know, Amazon right. Although doesn't... Netflix is actually starting to slowly uh, compromise and release some things, but ne- but it took them a long time to get there. So maybe someday Disney will, but yeah. right now they're not. Yeah, but they're only releasing it when it's positive. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Yeah, they're not going to be like, no one watch this. Yes, obviously. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean that many people. If if they all signed up for one year of the service, that is almost three quarters of a billion dollars so uh disney is fast on their way to making back their their investment in the service thank Uh, god finally a win for disney (laughs) yeah okay uh let's talk about you know people have been browsing the service and it's just as amazing as how much stuff is on the service it's also amazing what is not on the service and people are noticing that some of the marvel and star wars movies are not on there uh brad when can we expect them yes um when disney plus launched it actually had even more marvel movies than people were initially anticipating but because of holdover streaming rights agreements uh with netflix there are some of them that aren't available just yet but thankfully we know that they they're not too far behind they just have to wait for the the deals with netflix uh to run out and this also includes uh, a couple of the star wars titles as well uh so as far as the uh the dates for when we can see these movies thor ragnarok will arrive on december 5th 2019 black panther on march 4th 2020 avengers infinity war june 25th 2020 and ant-man on the wasp july 29th 2020 uh, and those are the most recent Marvel movies, with the exception of Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame, which never uh, were part of the Netflix deal. Uh, so those movies are, aren't, aren't too far behind. People won't have to wait too long. And then for Star Wars, uh, The Last Jedi will arrive at, before the end of the year on December 26, 2019. And Solo will arrive on July 9th, 2020. What about the Ewok movies, Brad? I want the Ewok uh, 
<laughs> do you though? Uh, no, no word on on the Ewok movies or, or the Star Wars holiday special. But we'll keep our our fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. W- what about the Spider Man movies? So the Spider Man movies um, probably won't ever make it to Disney Plus, or at least currently Disney has no plans uh, to include them on Disney Plus, and that's mostly because those movies are distributed by Sony Pictures, and they already have kind of a strained relationship as we saw with uh, with the deal to share spider-man on the big screen uh crumbled earlier this year only to be resolved not long after and i imagine it would just only be more difficult to try and figure out how disney and sony would split any profits for spider-man being watched on disney plus you have to break down how many people watched it and how much a membership costs and uh, i don't think any of those people are that good at math well, they, <laughs> they 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 could just acquire the streaming rights for those films. It is a shame that we can't watch all of the Infinity Saga on one service because of you know. I mean, sure, that's true, but at the same time, like if you're really that diehard of a Marvel fan, I'm sure you already have all of the Marvel movies, and you probably already have a digital copy of this somewhere, you know, in your your apps. Okay, well, Avengers Endgame is currently streaming on Disney Plus. But it comes with a a bunch of different deleted scenes that were on the Blu-ray. What do we know about that? So the scene, some of the deleted scenes in question on Disney Plus actually uh, weren't on the Blu-ray, uh, including one of the more discussed ones, which uh, would have had Tony Stark meeting his adult daughter Morgan. Um, so we know that Tony Stark snaps his fingers with the uh, the Nano Gauntlet. Uh, sacrificing himself to save the world and get rid of Thanos and and all of his uh, you know soldiers, but uh, in between the snap and his death scene, there was a moment when he uh, went to that that plane of existence that we saw Thanos go to to meet young Gamora, and there he has a discussion with Catherine Langford from uh, Thirteen Reasons Why, uh, who plays an, an older version of Morgan. Uh, and if you go watch the scene, uh, it's unfinished. The visual effects are only like placeholders and that kind of thing. And the quality isn't that great. But the scene itself, honestly, isn't that good. Uh, it's it's very obvious why they took it out because it just kind of comes to a stop and it's really awkward uh, and doesn't really do much of anything. It, it has kind of a touching use um, of I Love You 3000 again, but not nearly as good as the, the scene that they actually used after his funeral with the, the hologram message to... Uh, the actual young Morgan. So I think that it was probably a good decision to to cut this scene in the end. Yeah. So, I mean, that does solve a mystery because I remember people were wondering where that actress was going to be in the movie and she wasn't in the movie. There was so much speculation that she was going to be like Hawkeye's daughter or something like that and she didn't end up being in the movie at all. But So, so there you have your answer. Uh, let's move on to Star Wars. Let's talk about uh, a big surprise. When this service launched... Star Wars movies launched in 4K, Dolby Vision, and Atmos for the first time ever. Chris, what do we know? Yes, so um, The Last Jedi and Solo, A Star Wars Story, are the only two movies up until now in the Star Wars saga that had official 4K releases uh, on Um, Blu-ray. Earlier this summer, we, we wrote up a story saying there was a rumor going around that a 4K box set was going to be out soon of the entire Skywalker saga. And that may still be happening. And 
this news sort of suggests that it really will be happening. But as as of now, the only way you can watch um, the Star Wars films in 4K is on Disney Plus because they've all um, the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy have have both been remastered into 4K and uh, for the streaming service. And apparently they look great. I, I, obviously, I haven't seen them because I don't have the service. But um, other than a few um, changes to so- certain scenes, they apparently look really good and crisp and clear. And it's good news if you want them in 4K. Yeah, let's talk about that. Some of the changes, like they added the Fox fanfare back in, and there's a notable tweak to the Han Greedo confrontation. Brad, what is going on? Yes, well, we've seen uh, that scene go through plenty of changes over the years. Uh, The idea of Greedo shooting before Han Solo first happened when the special edition of A New Hope was released back in 1997. And it was uh, quite a a contentious change among fans. And it was even further modified in later home video releases to touch it up a little bit, make it seem a little less clunky. And now it's been done yet again, uh, making it even more clunky, no pun intended, because uh, in in addition to making the shots of Greta Wait, 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 actually, before you, before you say that, l- let's just, like, for those people who don't know, let's explain what happened. Like, original Star Wars, Han shot first, right? Yeah, so, yes, yeah, so in, in that original scene, Han Solo shot Greedo with, without um, him taking any single shot, even though it was clear Greedo was about to kill him. Yeah, and uh, George Lucas felt like the good guy, or, the you know, one of the heroes of his film couldn't do that. So he changed around yeah, in I, editing. I, yeah, I believe he said that Han would never be that bloodthirsty. Yeah, so then Greedo shot first, and that uh, angered fanboys around the world. George uh, uh, Lucas would notably wear a shirt that said Han shot first to, like, I feel like he was, like, one of the first uh, uh, internet trolls <laughs> ever. Um, yeah, so now what is it in this new version? So in this new version, uh, Han and Greedo appear to shoot at the same time, basically putting them on even footing. So that way, Greedo is still shooting. Han doesn't seem as bloodthirsty. Uh, but, of course, Han's a better shot, so he ends up frying Greedo. But there is another addition in here that makes this scene even more clumsy uh, because right before the actual shots take place, there's this sudden cut to Greedo's face, and he says, McClunky, but without any, like, uh, subtitles that say what he's saying whatsoever. So we have no idea what he says just before he get, who shoots at Han and then gets shot himself. So what does McClunky or what what does that mean? Well, to me, I think it was just him saying, fuck you, Han. <laughs> uh, but apparently this is something that Sebulba uh, has said before. And so it's really, it's more, it's more of like a, a, a taunt that, you know, was given to Han like right before he was going to get shot um so it's you know it is what it is <laughs> yeah so i guess the big question a lot of people are probably asking is why did disney choose to change the scene and the answer is disney didn't do it george lucas did it right yeah this was apparently something that lucas wanted to do even before uh lucasfilm was bought by disney it was something that, that he again wanted to adjust this scene 
uh, for some reason. You know, I don't know why he's so <laughs> obsessed with, with this. It's just, it's ridiculous. Uh, so, so yeah, so now we get Greedo's, you know, saying McClunky, you know, this will be the end of you. Um, and that's, that's that. I don't, you know, who knows what the next change is going to be. <laughs> yeah. So truth be told, Disney has been sitting on these 4K restorations for many years. I mean, whatever, however many years it's been since they bought, uh, Lucasfilm. So, uh, but look, 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 guys, Disney, just, just stop this. Stop it. Stop. <laughs> Please stop. And just release the original cuts of the movies in four, and everything will be fine. Like everyone will be so happy. You, like you, you don't even know how happy you'll make people. Just, just release those cuts of the movie. But isn't it? Isn't the idea, or at least George Lucas has said that those original cuts of the movies don't exist in a high quality enough version. I don't, I don't believe him. That. Yeah, yeah, I don't believe him. <laughs> like, I, I, I've been, I've been wanting to rewatch the original trilogy, and I'm intentionally avoiding it because I don't want to watch those shitty <laughs> special editions. I'm like holding out. I'm not going to rewatch it until they release the originals, which they might never do, but I think they will eventually. There, there are ways to get very yeah. good Blu-ray copies of those original cuts. Yeah. I need to do that. Yeah, fans have like <laughs> done the restoration themselves. It's like actually insane, and you can watch like videos of like out like I think it's probably like two hour long videos of how the process that the fans went to to do that, which is yeah, kind it's of very cool, crazy. I will say this: I'm a Star Wars fanatic, and I really don't care. Besides, there's a few things that tweak me with the the additions and the special editions, but I feel like some of them are actually pretty good and help fill out the scene but um you know yeah like Je- like jedi rocks <laughs> wait what that, that the song in jabba the oh, palace that's that's that, great isn't it no that, that that's one of the bad things you know oh, what? I, it's so good i do like that they returned the fox fanfare to the beginning of of these movies though like i feel like that was missing when i bought these movies after disney acquired um them i bought them on itunes and it was i don't know I know it's just a uh, a logo for a studio, and I shouldn't be like like it feels weird to be missing that. But it feels like the experience of Star Wars is having that fanfare, and then leading into the Lucasfilm and Crawl, right? I think I think part of the reason of that is because when the soundtracks were released, they also included the Fox fanfare as the very first track on the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's move on. Let's talk about uh, the new episodes coming to Disney Plus because people are confused. They're wondering, you know, we got, we got an episode of The Mandalorian. We got an episode of uh, Imagineering Story. Like, when are new episodes going to come? When are we going to get to see the further adventures of The Mandalorian, Chris? Uh, this Friday. Um, so, yeah, Disney Plus, it launched on Tuesday. But rather than make everyone wait a full week to get the second episode – uh, the Mandalorian and, you know, the second episodes of their other original shows that they've premiered. Um, everything is coming on Friday and going forward, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, the new episodes of The Mandalorian will be dropping on Fridays. So you don't have to wait yeah. a full week, everyone. And Apple also is doing Friday. Uh, does Netflix have a certain day of the week that they launch their new episodes? Um, You know, for a while, it was just Fridays. Every once in a while, they'll do like a special midweek release for some things, but for the most part it is Friday just because 
that just seems to be the standard streaming idea because you can binge it over the weekend. That's the that's the idea. Although you can't really binge the Disney shows, so yeah. it, it is weird that they're sticking with that. So are we now in this hellscape of peak TV where everything comes out at the exact minute on Thursday night, Friday morning, and like we're gonna have to like all watch all the shows on Friday so that we can keep up with you know Twitter and social media. Yes, we are in that hellscape. <laughs> this is what you wanted, everyone. I hope you're happy. Okay, we talked about some changes. Uh, one of the changes to Disney Plus is on The Simpsons. The Simpsons are not being presented as they originally were. Chris, what do we know? Yes, so The Simpsons is a very old show. It's uh, I don't know if you know this, listeners, but it's been on for a very long time. And back in the olden days, when I was much younger than I am today, uh, we didn't have widescreen TVs. Our TVs were these big, clunky, square things. And since The Simpsons is a show from that era, the first 20 seasons of the show were presented in that square um, four to three format. Um, but of course, nowadays, pretty much everyone has a widescreen TV. And as a result, as The Simpsons has gone on, it's switched to 16-9 widescreen aspect ratio. Uh, so in order to, you know, for some reason, some people don't like watching older stuff in that old aspect ratio. You know, it keeps um, like square black rectangles on the side, which I guess could be distracting for some people, but it really shouldn't be. Um, but in order to make those people happy, uh, a lot of times when things get repurposed for streaming, their aspect ratios get stretched out and that's what's going on here. So the earlier seasons of the Simpsons, which are now all on Disney plus have been stretched to 1690. Yeah. Uh, we, we shouldn't say stretched cropped in. So cropped, like right. zo zooms in. Right. But the problem with this is, that, especially for The Simpsons, there are a lot of visual gags on The Simpsons, a lot of sight gags, you know, stuff in the background, stuff in, you know, the foreground, all the, you know, stuff that you're supposed to pay attention to and, and laugh at. Uh, and this this cropping has ended up cropping out a lot of the visual gags. And that's a problem if you want, you know, the the pure old school Simpson experience. Uh, you know, it's fine for the new seasons, but as everyone knows, the new seasons are not great. And the, the good seasons are the older ones. And those are the ones that are being cropped right now. Um, for a while, the Simpsons was streaming on the FXX app, Simpsons world. And they actually presented the older seasons in the correct aspect ratio. So I'm hoping Disney wises up and gets around to re-releasing those earlier seasons but for now they're they're cropped i just don't understand why there isn't an option like we're not in a world where there's physical space anymore we're in a world of virtual uh you know these are just like files on a server somewhere like why not just on that each episode page be the option of like present it in its original aspect ratio or watch it in 16 by 9 I will say this, I did click on the Simpsons section of the app, and I clicked on the first episode of The Simpsons, which is from, what, the late 80s? And, by the way, the, the animation looks so bad compared to today's animation. They probably didn't, like, have a good archival copy of this episode. But in addition to that, you're taking something that was in a lower quality, and you're, like, zooming in on it, so it looks even worse. So from a quality perspective, I feel like it just makes it look bad. So Disney, give us the option. You know, I, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine if you want to make 
the 16 by 9 the default, but at least give the consumers the option. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, okay. So uh, I know we are going long here, but Ben Pearson talked to Emmy Award nominated uh, documentary filmmaker Leslie Iwerks. She's the granddaughter of, of Iwerks, who helped create Mickey Mouse, uh, about the Imagineering story. Uh, she's the one that created uh, the Pixar story, which is on Disney+. Plus. Uh, the Imagineering story is a six-part documentary series. The first episode is on there now, and I highly recommend you check it out. It's one of the best uh, pieces of original content on the service. But Ben got to talk to her a few weeks ago, and we're going to play that interview for you right now. Disney fans can be very obsessive, as you know, and many of the most voracious of them have probably tried to dig into the history of Imagineering a little bit on their own. You know, there's some information on this topic out there already, but what is the most interesting revelation that you've discovered when you're working on this project? Well, if you're speaking about the fans, is how intense fans are um, over what any Imagineer touches. Mm -hmm. And we did a, a story about Kim Irvine, who is one of the senior Imagineers at Disney. She, you know, she has a long lineage of, um, her mother was Madame Leota. Mm. Oh, and awesome. uh, her father was uh, Dick Irvine, who was one of the former presidents of Imagineering. And she told me about how when she was redoing Small World, how it was like a real, real issue. I mean, people, the thing is when the internet came about, now fans had a voice and they made no qualms about posting everything they feared, everything they thought before they even knew the truth of what was happening behind the scenes. And so she, she, you know, is, comes across really funny because she's like, I love the fans, but I also, you know, I want to wring their necks sometimes because, you know, they have to trust us, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so much is secret behind the scenes until the very end, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think, just speaking of the fans, that whole story of what the Imagineers how they deal with fans, mm -hmm. you know, expectations. So this, it's pretty that, funny. Actually, that's covered in the in the doc. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, I imagine that you're you're probably not looking at this as an opportunity to sort of create any like uh, gotcha moments about Disney. But does I'm just curious if Disney allows you to be critical of certain elements of anything that they do if you stumble across that as you are making a, a project like this. Yes, uh, this film has definitely got its um, warts and all. And we uh, came into the film as a very transparent and honest, well, I did as a very transparent and honest director that this is not a puff piece. This is a, a documentary, a legitimate, serious documentary about this company. And what are those issues? And where were the mistakes made? And uh, why were those mistakes made? And were they the fault of Imagineers? Were they, were they the fault of economics? Were they the fault of the leaders of the company, um, you know, at the end of the day, what I found most interesting, no matter what the conflict was, it could have even been economic or physical, like tsunamis. Um, these Imagineers and, and that DNA that Walt started in Disneyland is so um, rock solid that they basically can get through through anything. And that that sort of DNA of story and innovation just keeps going and everyone wants to live up to this happiest place on earth mantra, mm -hmm. which I actually find fascinating because I don't know whether Walt Disney came out with it or it was marketing, but the fact that, that they put this for the, 
what do you call it, the stamp down that said, we want to create the happiest place on earth. Happiest place on earth. I mean, think about that. It's a high bar. That's a high bar. And everything that goes, that was sort of our kernel, or, was, or at least it was mine. Like, that's, that's the nucleus of this entire story. Everything that comes out of this, all these narrative threads, come out of that nucleus. And what really is the takeaway is, you know, Walt Disney wanted to create the happiest place on earth, but creating happiness is hard work. Mm. And that's really the story. Um, do you know if any of your grandfather's cartoons are going to have a home on Disney Plus? Have, has anybody talked to you about any of that? Is there you a mean the, of that? the Disney cartoons? Yeah, sure, I'm sure they will. I don't, I don't know. I haven't been tracking the what they're putting on the cartoons, but I can't imagine they wouldn't put the Mickey Mouse's and the Oswalds and yeah. silly symphonies. That would be cool. Um, what was the culture of Imagineering like in those early days? Was it sort of a, a big family, or was it more like uh, akin to Mad Men and theme parks? Like, what, what was the, the vibe like? You know what? You, I think it hit on both. You know, those guys were going out for martini lunches, coming up with stuff like, you know, Madame Leota. You know what I mean? Um, Yellow Gracie and my dad used to go to, to lunch and brainstorm um, on all sorts of all sorts of things. And at the same time, there was a real family element. I mean, Walt Disney himself was very much a family man. And, um, you know, but we, when you look at this footage, it's crack, it'll crack you up. Like all this old stuff. I mean, just the everyone's smoking and, you know, construction workers are out there with their shirts off. And, you know, it's just a, the, the, I don't know, the rules and regulations were so much different back then mm-hmm. that there was a sense of freedom. And uh, maybe they didn't know it back then, I guess, compared to now, there's a lot more freedom. But but it was like this this um, factory, this imagination factory is what it was. And there's some great footage in the, in the movie, in the series, uh, of all these animatronics and people working on things. And everyone was just on this unified vision to get Walt's, Walt's dreams, make them a reality. And your engineers, your artists, your storytellers, you know, everybody came together. Your sculptors like Blaine Gibson came together to make this dream come true. And that was fun. I mean, it was just a fun time. And my, my dad always just says that, that when Walt died, it was an end of an era because it was, such a, it was such an imagination factory and a playground for him and for so many other people um, while he was there. You mentioned earlier that once Disney Plus came on board, they gave you the ability to shoot more footage. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious about what this documentary looked like before you knew it would live on Disney Plus? Like, what what kind of um, reshaping did you have to do to it? It was a strong six-hour doc prior, because we showed it at Imagineering, and they were, you know, Bob Weiss and the president there, and, the, you know, uh, those folks did not know what to expect, and they were blown away at how much we got. They were like, wow, you this is like reliving our past. And they were shocked by how much we found that they had never seen before. And I interviewed probably 250 people for this project, and it was commissioned as a 90-minute film, shot over four years, edited in the last year. So four years of it was just filming. In mm-hmm. the last year, we had a mountain. We were like, what are we going to do with all this? So we had to cut a, a long piece to figure out how to shape it down. We mm-hmm. had to sort of figure out what were the storylines that were important. Then we had to go to the archives and figure out what material do we have to support that story. And sometimes we didn't have it, so we had to cut back on how long that particular segment was. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, uh, it was like an accordion, you know, long, short, long, short, moving around. And then it was restructuring certain scenes and this and that. But, but overall, the narrative arc of the whole 
65 year history was there in six hours mm-hmm. and and they they were so excited about it and that's when they said to you know they wanted to get this out there and then when disney plus came in they said okay we love this what do you want to do what do you think in your heart of hearts you'd love to do that you haven't been able to do and mm-hmm. i said well i'd like to have more time to go back and do more verite and more take take viewers behind the scenes in the same way i got to do when i was a kid you know, going behind the scenes on the lot or Disneyland or whatever. So that sense of awe and wonder is what I brought. I I brought to it. They asked me if I wanted to do, and I was like, I'd love to do that. So that's awesome. The um, yeah, I think you also said earlier that like each of the six episodes has their own arcs and cliffhanger endings. How much um, did you have to go back in and and sort of um, I guess reshape it in form in the form of specific episodes versus just. Um, a, a c- continuous story told over six hours. Well, we definitely, um, we had the six-hour cut, and it was originally shown as six different episodes. Oh, it was? Yeah, because we uh, we had these natural arcs and endings. You know, Walt passes away. You know, that's one episode. And then there's a new turning point. They were all based on turning points. And usually it was an end of an era. So, you know... So Tokyo Disneyland, Walt Disney World and Tokyo Disneyland was the end of that was sort of the end of an era because uh, the company almost dissolved. The company almost broke apart. And that was a major, major cliffhanger. We might not have, you know, Imagineering at all today had they not come in and, you know, rescued the company and Michael Eisner coming in and Frank Wells coming in. So then it became like, okay, now we're on a new story, the Frank and, you know, Michael show. and It just sort of happened organically that way. And then when Frank Wells died, then that became a whole new energy and spirit and, you know, kind of the dark, the dark period mm-hmm. at Imagineering. And so that became its own episode. And then Michael Eisner not, you know... Uh, you know, having to leave the company, and then that becomes another era. So it was really more shaped by what happened, big picture in the company that shaped Imagineering, and that's how we sort of found our our turning points. I rewatched the Pixar story as soon as I found out that I would be speaking with you, and uh, I was just impressed all over again by that movie, and, and I was especially struck by, like, the amount of archival footage you had in that compared to what I imagined you had to deal with here, and you mentioned it was a mountain, and like I'm just curious, I guess how how many iterations there were of a project like this. I mean, you must have. You said it was like an accordion. Like, um, I guess was there a ten hour cut at any point, and you just decided to to shape it down, or, or it, was six the long end of it? I for think you? six was a long. I mean, it definitely certain episodes were longer. Like our episode one was originally it could have been a two hour, just leading up to Walt's passing, mm. but so. There were definitely sections that we we wished we could have gone longer because we think there's an audience there. But if at the same time, I really respect and trusted Dan and Agnes's input because they're looking at it as an objective viewer. And mm. and I tried to too, of course, as a filmmaker with my editors too, who are so vested in the subject matter. By the way, I had amazing editors on this project, and they were so passionate. But you, at some point, you have to go. Okay, where's enough enough? Like, we've got it, you know? Right. And it's just that very fine line between one minute longer even. You're like, okay, I got it. Mm. And that's where Dan and Agnes were really good at sort of saying, okay, we think you can trim. Just trim it, trim it, trim it a little bit more. There were and, your, and they your eyes from the outside They wouldn't say world. where. They wouldn't tell me where. They would just say, look, it, we just feel like it might be going a little long and we got, the, we got it, you know? And that's what you need as a filmmaker, I think. Mm-hmm. You need that. Um, you need a network executive to sort of be your 
your your better half or you know whatever portion they are but th that 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 better part of you as a filmmaker to sort of say you know we think this is awesome but mm -hmm. feel free to trim where you need to yeah but not tell you where you know yeah um the one thing that that sort of struck me about rewatching the Pixar story now was that it was a little strange to watch with you know all the stories out there about John Lasseter, and I was just wondering if when you were working on that movie you have ever heard any whispers about any of the bad behavior that was alleged to be going on back there, or if you were as blindsided as we all were by those I was, stories. I was definitely blindsided as well. Um, having known the Pixar story, having known John for as long as I have, um, having a great relationship with John over the years. Um, it took me completely by surprise, um, but it did not stop me at one for one second to think there is no reason, you know, he, he's in this film, he's in part of the Disney DNA and Cars Land and everything else, so, you know, I'm thrilled to have John in the film. Um, I want to end with uh, one fun question. In your mind, what is the definitive Disney attraction, the one that sort of best sums up like, theme park design as an art form? I would say Pirates, Pirates of the Caribbean, the original and then the current one. Mm. So if you look at the evolution of the original Pirates, uh, it was a accumulation of amazing storytelling, amazing ride system. Um, as Bob Gurr calls it, it was a trick building that had a water going downhill, uphill, all over the place. Um, it had music that was fantastic, which was actually written by the Winnie the Pooh creator, mm. Exitensio, who had never written a you know, a script for a, for a ride before. Um, it was amazing storytelling and amazing technology and amazing costumes and amazing animatronics uh, that had all come together under in one pinnacle attraction that was state-of-the-art at the time. And every other theme, or not even theme park, because they weren't really theme parks. They were, they were um, a tr um, you know, what would you call Magic Mountain? It's not a theme park. It's oh, a, yeah. It's something in between. It's like know, not it's, quite a carnival, it, but not yeah. quite a... Yeah. <laughs> And, and so everyone else looked up to this one attraction as, like, the bar, right? So now you cut to, you know, all these decades later, and you go to Shanghai, and you go to the Pirates of the Caribbean there. Uh, it is state-of-the-art. They just, it's like these Imagineers were so inspired to stand on the shoulders of the original Imagineers who built that first one and just say, okay, we're going to plus every single element to the neck to the nines mm -hmm. as far as we can go yeah and, and that's how it is so it's i think everyone should visit that one and there you have it so you can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com you can find more of all the stories we mentioned on today's podcast linked in the show notes slashfilm daily is published every weekday on itunes google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please feel free to send us your feedback questions comments concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com and please rate and read this podcast on iTunes, tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.